Hey everyone, Doug here. Looking forward to this episode on Resident Evil 4 and uh, wanted to do some quick announcements up top because again, I recorded this way before I knew exactly what the schedule was going to be. So coming up after Resident Evil 4, we have an episode on Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street with our guest Lauren Flans, followed by an episode on uh, horror board games with our friend Dan Oster, followed by uh, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show with Shakina Nafak to close out our Halloween month, which I'm really excited about. And then we're assuming that the strike is going to be over. So hopefully after that, you're going to get the episodes on Muppet Treasure Island and Batman 89 that I've been holding in stasis while the strikes are on. So if you have thoughts on any of those, please send it to uh, the usual feedback. The other thing I want to let you know is our guest Ken Cole has his own show, Ken Cast, and I was delighted to be a guest on it not that long ago. I'll put a link to the YouTube video in the show notes. And if you subscribe to his podcast, Ken Cast, uh, that episode should be released. If it's not out already, it's going to be out very, very soon. So I hope you all enjoy that. And uh, with all that, ladies and gentlemen, Resident Evil 4. Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... for the Nintendo GameCube, Resident Evil 4 was not just another entry in a long-running franchise, it was, pun intended, a game-changer that completely reshaped the landscape of games. It was so immensely popular that it was immediately ported onto every piece of electronics that could run it. If there was a microwave that could have played Resident Evil 4, uh, it would have been available for your LG microwave. Um, it, it is one of the most extraordinary games ever made and also a perfect fit for our month of Halloween horror stuff. So I'm very excited to dig into this classic. Uh, and with me to do it, uh, I have someone here who has been on the podcast several times before. He uh, was on our Karate Kid episode. He was on our Superman the Movie episode and most recently on Terminator 2. Uh, so please welcome to the show, uh, what are you buying, Ken Cole. <laughs> hey, Doug. How you doing? It's great to be here. Man, uh, what a great pick. And I'm excited to talk to you about video games because our, our last outings have all been about movies. And I love watching you and listening to you analyze movies because I think you have a wonderful perspective. Um, but we've never really dug into games before. So uh, th- I'm looking forward to this. Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to talk about Resident Evil 4 and your nostalgia for that. Not, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of nostalgia for the entire series, but this entry in particular. Right. Well, not only is it a great game, you know, as you've covered, but, you know, it's special to me because I uh, tracked this game like when I was in college and in graduate school, 
I was too busy to play games, but I would re- I would keep up with games. I would read about games. And so this was a game that was big and anticipated, and I had never played a Resident Evil game before, and I noted just how intensely people loved this game. And so later on, when I was dating uh, my to-be wife one day, uh, she was really into uh, games and playing games, and uh, I got her this game as a present uh, having not playing it, played it, I just knew about its reputation. I hadn't played any of the Resident Evil series at that point, uh, and I just gave it to her. This, it was the Wii edition of Resident Evil 4. And oh, so, so you came in a little later. I came in later. So I was aware of it, but I hadn't played it till later. Um, and I never played any of the series until after I gave her this game as a gift, uh, just blindly. And she loved it. And she was telling me about how is, you know, we weren't living together at that point. So she was playing it on her own and uh, she loved it. And I was like, wow, good. I'm glad I, I'm glad that turned out to be a good game. And then, uh, so we went back together and we started playing from resident evil zero and we made our way back up to resident evil four. And then we played through resident evil four together. And I, I was playing that time. She was kind of just, you know, watching with me but um so i have a lot of great memories regarding resident evil 4 i was not uh on like track with the first three resident evil games either because i did not own the original sony playstation which is what they were released on and uh they are now that you've played them you know they're very different from re4 re4 uh, was it's not exactly a reboot in terms of the plot, but it's kind of a reset. The the first three yes. games form sort of a trilogy, and this is sort of a, a, the start of a new story arc, and we'll, we'll get into that aspect of it. They also completely revamped the gameplay, which we'll also talk about. And I had played, they did a remake on the GameCube of the original Resident Evil, which was the first one I played. Yes. And it's basically the exact same as the original Resident Evil, but prettier. They, you know, they upped the graphics right. quite a bit to make it nicer. Um, so I, so I had played that. I had, I had enjoyed it for what it was, although that those first three games are really clunky in terms of their controls for reasons we'll get into (laughs) this. The first time I encountered it, there was a display at a, you know, um, a GameStop or, you know, electronics boutique or one of these game stores in a mall. And first of all, it is visually stunning, you know, especially for that era. The, the graphics were extremely impressive, which was already like, ooh, I'm, I'm interested in this. It played much more smoothly than the original, the first three games and in a very different way. And the demo was basically the very beginning of the game where you walk into the village, which we'll talk about like what a stunning set piece this is, not only visually, but in terms of game design. It's a master class. And I was just immediately, I mean, first of all, I was immediately killed is what happened to me. But then I tried <laughs> it a few more times and I was bowled over by just like how bold it was, how cinematic it was and how immersive it was in terms of the way it was very responsive to all of your ideas about how to handle what is essentially a horde of quote unquote zombies because they're not quite zombies in the game descending on you. And so that was the first impression it made. And I was like, I have to have this. I, this is something <laughs> special. I've never played anything like this. So I went out, I got it, I devoured it. And um, I don't remember if I played the Wii port of it, but I, I always maintained my GameCube. I think because I had the GameCube one that would play on the Wii. 
And then I eventually, uh, they put it out on PlayStation, like the PS4, they did a port. I got it. I replayed through it. I loved it. And now in 2023, they released a remake of it, a ground up remake. That's mm. sort of a reimagining of the game um, that is just as wonderful as the original and even more gory and gross and uh, and great. So, yeah, this thing is amazing. Um, where do you want to start in terms of talking about the, you know, where it sits in this series? Or actually, you know, what we should probably do is kind of explain what this game is to someone who right. doesn't play video games. Like, what is this game? Right. Uh, well, OK. <laughs> so, wow, that's that's actually a great place I guess, to start. It's a survival horror game. That's probably the first place to explain what that is. Right. So a survival horror game, and you can chime in too. Um, you know, there are uh, a number of games like the, like Silent Hill. And, you know, this is this series is another survival horror game. But it's like it's all about atmosphere and tension. Um, and the survival aspect is that, you know, you're, you're usually given uh, limited resources. And you have to decide how you're going to use those resources to survive. Um, you don't have an overwhelming amount of ammunition. Um, you know, you'll find a lot of puzzles, but this is, it's really about how do you make it step-by-step step through the game? Um, it's not about, you know, how many zombies you can gun down. It's not, you know, that type of game. It's, uh, they tend to be, you know, more methodical and deliberate and, you know, about atmosphere tension and just hopefully giving you that feeling of dread that you could die at any moment. Yeah. It's all about recreating kind of the feeling that you would get watching something like the original night of the living dead, right? right? Where, you know, uh, uh, one that more people may have even heard of now because of the HBO show is the last of us, which as most people know, who've seen that show, it's based on a video game of the same name. And that game is also a survival horror game, which is all about making every bullet count because you don't know when you might find another box of ammunition. And if you find one, it may not even be for the the right weapon you have. It might be useless to you. Um, Health is also scarce, but under the hood, and I don't know if you knew this resident evil four is doing a really interesting balancing act where the game is kind of watching how you do. So if you're doing really well and kicking lots of ass, the game will be more stingy in doling out resources. If you're doing poorly, it will actually be a little more generous to you. And this fine tuning does this, it's it's almost like sorcery because it makes you always feel like you're just on the edge of your seat and you're always like, oh, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And then you just make it. And then you so you always have just enough to get by. Um, it's it's wow. a great feeling. Yeah. And it's really it's incredible. I'm glad that you brought that up because it just goes to show, I think, how good the game design is here. And, um, you know, you could think of survival horror maybe as sort of like, you know, kind of a niche game genre, like maybe not everyone would enjoy it. But I think this game, Resident Evil 4, made amazing strides to uh, putting survival horror on many gamers laps, you know, like uh, maybe people like you said before, who might have been turned off by the controls of the earlier Resident Evil games. Uh, this was all of a sudden much more accessible, much more action oriented and retained all of those uh, survival horror tropes as well. Right. The first three Resident Evil games use what people have referred to as tank controls, where yes. basically the logical thing to do is when you're playing as a human character is you press on a joystick in a direction and your character will respond by moving in that direction. 
The first two Resident Evil games don't do that. This was at the beginning of games being in 3D and developers were still trying to figure out, hey, what is the best way to have someone pilot a video game avatar around a three-dimensional world as opposed to Mario just moving left and right in a 2D world? So what the Resident Evil characters do in the first three games, they move like a car. Basically, you have two buttons that are like a brake and a gas pedal, and then you turn the – so they accelerate for it, and you turn them in a direction. It's unbelievably clumsy. And the only reason it works at all in a Resident Evil game is because that adds to the tension because yes. it's so hard to control your character that, like, there's an extra level of danger, you know, because it just feels like, you know, imagine trying to uh, to to drive a car while your hands were, like, asleep. You know, like, it's right, that kind right. of feeling. Yeah. No. And and you're right. And the thing is too, I I loved those games. I think for that reason like and once you get into the tank controls, I think you're right, it becomes part of the experience and you enjoy it. And you know, there are a lot of people I think that were leery about having to give those up actually because they were so integral to the Resident Evil experience and of course that those games had pre-rendered backgrounds. It was it was so different. Uh it was such a different experience um and you know, I think that those remakes, remakes and then Zero, Resident Evil Zero, I think those were the last pre-rendered Resident Evil games. I don't think they've made any others. So, no. Once they once they went into Resident Evil Four, everything was a fully three D rendered world that you move through fluidly, uh, and it's an over the shoulder perspective of your your lead character Leon Kennedy uh, returning from Resident Evil Two, and so you're over his shoulder and you can move him around with a joystick like a normal ass person. <laughs> and but the trick is when you when it's time to aim your weapon and they did change this for the remake. But when it's time to actually line up a shot and aim, your character becomes a turret. He stands still and doesn't move. So the game becomes this kind of tension between like I got to run away from threats, get enough distance to then turn, you know, make sure I'm in, in place to line up a really good shot, which I got to make count, fire at the thing I need to fire at and hopefully do some damage and, and connect. Uh, and where this gets real sc- scary is when you know, the threat is really powerful or they're or numerous because Leon's not as well equipped in this mode to like just mow down rows of dudes. Um, you have to be real judicious about what you're doing. And we talked a little bit about this in the Uncharted episode not that long ago, which owes a debt to this game. I, I did mention oh, yes. that a couple episodes ago, which is the emphasis on where you aim is really kind of novel to this game. And this was a big part of the like blowing your hair back feeling of it was, you know, in a normal game, an enemy is a bullet sponge. You just shoot them. They absorb damage. Like, you know, basically a number ticks down somewhere. And when the number ticks down to zero, they die here. Not only you know, did where you shoot them affect them in terms of how much damage you were doing, like a shot to center mass is like good, but not great compared to a shot to the head. But, you could get real clever and go like, hey, if I shoot him in the leg, he might trip and fall down. You know, if I if he's carrying a grenade and I shoot him in his arm, he'll drop it and then kaboom. Right. So and if I shoot him in the head after a certain point in the game, some other really crazy shit's going to happen, uh, which we'll get to uh, when we start talking about the story. But um, that the dynamism of that, of like constantly worrying about like not just do I need to fire at this thing? But where am I going to shoot him while I'm under pressure? Is that is the like 
the hook that really gets into you and makes you want to keep pushing through the game. Yes. And I have to bring up, I do have special nostalgia for the Wii edition of this. And I have to say, I love the implementation of the Wiimote controls because that was very unique for this game. You know, as you mentioned, it started on GameCube. So you had the the normal sort of stick controls as far as aiming. But the Wii port, they actually used the uh, IR pointer on the Wiimote so you could move that around to aim Leon's gun and it really they did a fantastic job of making it feel like very immersive and um, giving you that feeling of more granular control about where you aim yeah we talked a little bit about the mechanics of it we should talk about kind of the the tone and the story because I think as much as like the mechanics are really mind-blowing and keep you going it's also the story, like, the, it's it's not the most compelling narrative in terms of, like, you know, hey, The Last of Us, you know, I'm going to kill a child and make you cry, you know, kind of stuff. Um, it, it rides this great line between, um, it, it does a lot of stuff that's really, you know, you know, tense and scary and gory and scary, but also when it needs to, it kind of ramps up camp factor really high. And the fact that it kind of marries all of those tones is really, you know, kind of a, a neat balancing act. Um, we should talk about what just the pre- the basic premise of the game. Sure. Um, you are uh, Leon Kennedy, who's been brought in uh, to retrieve the president's daughter. He has ascended in his career from Resident Evil 2 and the Raccoon City incident. Um, and he has to go to Spain chasing a lead to try and extract the president's daughter and, and bring her, Ashley, back home. But, of course, he runs into some very unexpected problems. Uh, I don't know if you'd like to take it from there. <laughs> yeah, no. That, so the the if anyone has listening and has only seen the Resident Evil movies, first of all, none of I, as far as I know, none of those movies with Mila Jovovich have adapted uh, Resident Evil Four directly. Um, they may have borrowed a few elements from it here and there, but but mostly that series goes more in hand with the original Resident Evil games, and not by much. Even then, they take tremendous liberties, but basically. The first three games are the story of an outbreak of fairly traditional, you know, Walking Dead type zombies uh, in a fictional Raccoon City as the result of experimentation by the evil Umbrella Corporation. 1998. I'll never forget it. It was the year when those grisly murders occurred in the Arklay Mountains. Soon after, the news was out to the whole world, revealing that it was the fault of a secret viral experiment conducted by the international pharmaceutical enterprise, Umbrella. The virus broke out in a nearby mountain community, Raccoon City, and hit the peaceful little town with a devastating blow crippling its very foundation. Not taking any chances, the President of the United States ordered a contingency plan to sterilize Raccoon City. With the whole affair gone public, the United States government issued an indefinite suspension of business decree to Umbrella. Soon its stock prices crashed, and for all intents and purposes, Umbrella was finished. And it ends basically with the, the whole town getting nuked to stop the outbreak. And so, as I mentioned up top, this is kind of a new arc and a new threat, but in the same universe. And so the threat we're up against here is they are zombies, but not in the traditional sense. They are they are much different from zombies. So they are the Ganados, 
who are uh, basically they're human beings infected with this hideous parasite that is controlled telepathically by like the head parasite, which is inside this um, cult leader named uh, Osmond Sadler. And so you're up against the, the cult and all of these infected townspeople from this small Spanish village. And uh, what's cool about them is they don't act like zombies. They don't lurch around as corpses and go, Ugh. they're people. They still have some intelligence. They talk to each other and they act, they're a little faster. They, and so the way you react to them is a lot different and more dynamic. Again, that's kind of the watchword of this is dynamic compared to just a horde of lurching, you know, shambling corpses. And this actually, what was interesting about this premise is that when it came out, it was actually a bit controversial for fans because they weren't classic zombies and fans were worried before it came out that things would be changing too much. Why are there, why are they not zombies? And then on top of that, is this too dark? Like, uh, they aren't zombies. They're actual people that you're having to, you're, you're watching this happen to. Um, of course that kind of went away once the game released, but, uh, you know, I just, I think that was interesting that this was a big change from the classic zombie. Oh, you know, once that, once they're coming at you like two minutes into the game, they got to die. The, 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 right. uh, the moral calculus goes out the window and we learn of course, through the course of the game that these people are all beyond saving. So there's no, right. it's not like you, Oh, well we shouldn't kill them because maybe we can cure them. Nope. They're, they're yeah. too far gone. <laughs> nope. Uh, and what I love about them as like a threat, even the most basic ganado um, is a threat and is terrifying and is interesting to go up against, even just one of them, let alone a town's full of them. And that never stops throughout the game. And it's so great because you're constantly being beset by these guys and they never stop being interesting to combat. Mm. Yeah, it, it's um, and I. I agree with that change that they, because they're not classic zombies, you're right. They have intelligence. They have like different movements. Uh, they have, because they have a parasite in them, you know, obviously different ganados have different sort of phases of attack as well. Uh, there may be, they have different degrees of this infection, which have different consequences depending on how you shoot them. And, uh, you know, that is just endlessly interesting. And I think that speaks to one of the big reasons I, I love this game and I know we're going to get into is just the continual variety of challenges. And you're right. The Ganados and, you know, everyone else in the Illuminados just, there's, there's constant variety. Um, and it's such, it's fun to go up against them. It's terrifying and fun at the same time. I'm just curious. Do you speak Spanish? Um, a little bit. I went to Spain for, two, for, uh, for an exchange trip in high school and uh, I've, I've gotten a little rusty, but um, but I know a little Spanish. And uh, See, so I don't know any uh -huh. other than, you know, basic, you know, count to 10 and order in a restaurant Spanish. Like, you know, not enough it's for someone who was born and raised in California. It's embarrassing <laughs> that how little Spanish I know. Um, but there's an interesting I think the game is interesting either way. If you know Spanish, it's interesting because these, you know, they're calling out to each other and speaking because again, it takes place in like rural Spain. Um, so that can be interesting because you do understand it, but it's also scary if you don't, because it's this added terror of like, I don't know what they're taught saying to each other. You know, they're yelling at each other about, are they saying they know where, where I am? You know, I'm trying to hide behind a thing, but maybe they're coming at me right now. Right. Um, it, it's this great, like feeling of alienation on top of just some best in class body horror. 
Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I know we'll get into this later, but you're right. You have like that. It's just the sort of the grotesque, uh, you, you feel bad for these uh, rural townspeople, but you know, they are mean, they come after you. Um, and then there are different phases through the game and you're right. They become creepy and the things they say change and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's great. It's, it's, there's body horror, but there's also that atmosphere, that tension, uh, the, just the overriding creepiness of the whole thing. I love it. Yeah. The, the game really makes your skin crawl in a way. The first three resident evil games don't, and they're, and they're good in their own right, but this is on another level that like, it reminds me a little bit of something like the fly, which the, the thing with the fly is there's not a lot of individual jump scares. In fact, there's way more in a game like this than there ever are in the fly. But what the fly has is that feeling of like, it's just going to get worse. Isn't it? The next time I see Jeff Goldblum, it's going to be even creepier (laughs) and grosser. And this has that too, where it's like, you know, we start the village, it's daytime. And eventually like slowly it turns to night. And then you start encountering more horrific things. And then you start thinking of like, okay, I'm going to go into this village or I'm going to go around this corner. And there's something I'm like, all you can think of is like, God, what's waiting for me in there? Is it going to be worse than what I saw just two minutes ago? Right. Yeah. And the game pays that off at every turn. It's it's really amazing. You think you're up against something grisly. Um, and even at the beginning, right, you have your your there's the cop that who's your friend and you go into the village right at the beginning, you see them set fire to him and just like that's, and you hear the screams and you're like, this is, this is pretty dark stuff, but you're right. It just keeps getting worse and, uh, things change. They get creepy. Everything's not like it's supposed to be. It's almost like a desecrated religion, this cult. Uh, and that makes you feel uneasy. And then you get, to these big monsters, bigger and bigger monsters that just have so much imagination, but um, just kind of make you fascinated and revolted at the same time. Yeah. The grotesquerie, like as these things continue to like mutate and evolve because of Las Plagas, which is the, mm-hmm. uh, the parasite uh, and the different ways in which they can change. And then you start slowly learning more about like the science that went into creating these things and like the, the deeper ulterior motives of the people involved. And again, you just feel like you're going deeper and deeper into the belly of the beast as you go. And again, it's just like, Oh God, how much worse can it get? Even as they start layering in like sillier things to kind of like cut that tension just a little bit. Um, somehow, like I said, no matter how many times they kind of pull the lever on, like, let's do something kind of campy and silly, they're immediately right back into terror again. Like somehow it never like throws enough cold water on the horror elements to make the game not scary, even all the way to the end. That's a really great point. And I constantly think you talk about like bringing in the silliness and the campiness and stuff. It's almost like comic relief in a way, you know, a way to take a breather, but it doesn't affect the overall tone. And to me, it makes it, I know it's so gruesome and it's very dark, but the game feels like comfort food to me. And I think it's because it has all of those and it has just enough of that silliness where you know that, you know, it's not real. You you can sort of distance yourself from it a bit and you can enjoy it on that level. Yeah. I mean, 
there's no shortage of games where you go up against zombies. And I think there's a reason that this one and The Last of Us are the most highly regarded. Part of it is, yes, they are mechanically sound as simulators of the experience of taking on a horde of zombies. Um, but there's also so much creativity on display with these creatures. It's not just zombies in either of those two games. And because of that, it's like I, I'm getting to not only live out this zombie fantasy, but it's like a unique zombie style fantasy in terms of what I'm up against and how it is coming at me. And yeah, as you said, the creativity, like they keep coming up with new ways to be gross and scary as you go through it. So it never gets stale. Right. And, you know, I know we might talk about this game in relation to the other games. What I loved about this game is that they stepped into action mode. Uh, it still kept the survival survival horror elements, and they still kept some of those great elements of the prior games, including uh, the notes. So you'd come across notes that would be left. And if you wanted to, you could pick them up and and read through them, kind of like journals from people. And so if you come across, you know, as you're working your way up to a, a grotesque creature like El Gigante, uh, you come across like the person who is actually raising El Gigante and you and you read their notes and you don't know what this is, but you know that it's been uh, devouring the village's cows and it has this insatiable, insatiable hunger and it's growing bit, and you, you're wondering, what is this? What is this creature? And you're dreading that you're going to have to go up against the creature. It's like that great foreshadowing, the storytelling of the game I love too. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. They're they are masterful at like giving you these tantalizing hints of something awful that's coming. Uh to the point where like they can just say the name of the thing. You don't know what it is, but you're like, "Oh no, I'm going to have to fight that thing." Mm -hmm. And it's going to be gross and it's going to be ripping my head off any minute <laughs> now. Uh and like that alone is pretty special that like they they're they've because of all of these encounters you have, the effect is cumulative throughout the game. Right. Uh, and so let's I, get into it. Let's let, Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was going to ask you if you had that one moment in this game that just made you go, ah, and uh, like out of fright at all. Like when oh, you play we'll this get, game. We'll get to it. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I know exactly <laughs> what it is. I, I want to save that for when we get there because it's a special moment for me. Okay. And there's many, of, there are many of them, of course, throughout this because Again, we're picking this for Halloween. It's uh, it's right in the pocket because of how gross and scary this is. So, um, so yeah, the top of the game, you get a little bit of narration about the this Raccoon City incident, the fall of Umbrella, and we kind of forget about it for like ninety nine percent of the game. And we're you know we meet Leon Kennedy. Um, I'm not I'm borrowing this from some other podcasts who have covered this game, but uh, they refer to him as God's perfect idiot um, because he <laughs> is he's just kind of a doofy action hero, but you kind of love him. Uh, and he's, you know, he's in the back of a car with a couple of Spanish local police officers. They're taking you out to this remote village where you are again. Yeah. You've been assigned. The president's daughter has been kidnapped and you got to go find her classic like Capcom shit. That is the developer. We should have mentioned it's Capcom. And, um, they drop you off in the village. You wander into this guy's house and immediately it's classic Resident Evil stuff because like you, there's like a pot of like stuff cooking and you get close to it and you realize like what in God's name is in this pot? This place is full of like rotting meat and like there's no way like a normal person would live in these conditions. And then this guy attacks you with an axe. Uh, excuse me, sir. 
I was wondering if he might recognize a girl in this photograph. ¿Qué carajo estás haciendo aquí? ¡Lárgate, cabrón! Sorry to have bothered you. Yeah, that's and welcome to Resident Evil. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it's mm-hmm. it's great. And uh, it I, I love how you describe that. It's it's setting the mood. It gives you this idea of tension. You see all the rotting food. You go, Ugh, there's all that queasiness and you feel kind of upset. You're immersed in this environment. And then uh, there's a scare. There's an attack and you have to react and deal with it. Right. And he comes at you with an axe and immediately, you, I mean, gameplay wise, they're teaching you like, hey, you can shoot like the axe out of his hand. He'll drop it. Maybe you can, you know, smack him with your knife or, you know, kick him, you know, when he's stunned for a minute. Uh, but yeah, then you move on from there immediately to the village that we were talking about before, this set piece where you, you creep up on the, the village square. There's a pyre in the middle and like one of your cop buddies is on that pyre screaming and you can sneak into the village a little bit, but it's not long before they notice you. And now these guys are everywhere. Like you immediately go from fighting one of them to fighting like 15, 20 at a time. Right. And I think this brought up um, Resident Evil 2 in particular, where you just had to deal with like tons of these zombies at once. But now, as you said, they're coming at you. They're running at you. They have different uh, ways to attack you. They have ladders that they're putting up. You you can, you know, kick down ladders and you're just basically trying to do your best with your limited ammo and limited life to, to fend them off. And you're not exactly sure where to go or what to do. You're just trying to live. And what's beautiful about the way this is designed from a gameplay perspective is there's no safe place to be in the town. Like you would hope to like, well, I can kind of, Maybe I can get my back up against a wall and I, or I can force these guys into a bottleneck and I can and like I can kind of hole up in an area. It won't work because no matter what you do, there's always some way for them to get in from another angle to, to come at you a different way. You can climb up to the second story of a building and get on the roofs. But then, as you said, they'll put ladders and climb up. You can knock down the ladders. You can jump out a second story window if you need to. You, so you can jump in and out of windows. You can move like a dresser to block. Oh, you know, classic night, uh, night of the living dead stuff, right? I'm going to move this armoire in front of a window, which will hold them back for a little while, but eventually they knock it down and you got to keep moving. And so you're never safe. You're, there's never anywhere you can like hole up and kind of like, yeah, they'll just kind of come this way and I'll just pick them off one by one as they, you know, come through this little passage. Like that's not going to work. And then you get uh, the guy with the giant chainsaw and the, pr- the burlap sack over his head. And you know, like this is getting <laughs> serious pretty quick. Um, and uh, then you get this classic moment where the church bell goes off. They stop attacking. They all just wander off in the direction of this church bell. And Leon just uh, gives the classic <laughs> action line. Where's everybody going? Bingo. <laughs> oh, la campana. Es hora de rezar. Tenemos que irnos. Where's everyone going? 
Bingo? Uh, and so now we're off in this whole section of, you know, scouring this village, looking for Ashley. Right. And I just want to point out for me that the guy with the burlap sack over his head with the chainsaw, that I got my head cut off so many times. Uh, and that's the thing. In that in that game, they that game celebrates your death. And uh, you get to see your death in all its grisly glory. You know, with you are dead. And uh, when I played this game, I got my head chainsawed off so many times. And it's kind of fun, but it's kind of terrifying. And you're like, ah, you know, so uh, for me, that's that's a big experience for me personally. I like that there's also lady chainsaw enemies, too. You know, <laughs> uh, equal opportunity, Ganados. Um, so I, I love this whole section of the game, this first part, it's among the creepiest it's still, even in, you know, broad daylight as you're mm-hmm. making your way through the village and the surrounding environs. Um, you know, you just keep running into these guys and, uh, it's just, you know, it, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And then you find out about Del Lago, which again, this is this thing I'm talking about where like, they just tell you the name of something you're going to go up against. And you're like, Oh fuck, what's Del Lago. I know it's Spanish for the lake, you know, but that yeah. whatever's in that lake is not good. Um, it's a giant fish monster. Right. And, uh, again, great storytelling, the tease where you, you actually go to the lake itself and, uh, you know, you have binoculars and, you know, you see like two of the Ganados dump, uh, the body of a cop, one of the cops, Spanish cops, into the lake. And, you know, that whole sequence foreshadowed, and I'm trying to remember in the original version if you see any hint of the monster in that. I don't think you do, but um, it's a creepy place, and it's a big lake, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, uh-oh. Yeah, what, what am I going to do with this? Yes, yes. And I, there's all sorts of, like, funny little, like, Easter eggs in the game here and there. And like one of them is like, if you go out on the dock and you just shoot bullets at the lake, it'll come out and eat you and you instantly die. Uh, <laughs> if for some of you, a weirdo who felt like doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you go out on the lake, you have to heart. Basically you're on this boat that ends up lashed to the thing and you're throwing harpoons at it. Um, you know, kind of more gimmicky boss fight stuff. But then we get to where things I think really start to pick up, which is you're, you know, you basically wake up on the shore and now it's nighttime. And you asked me, like, what's the moment where, you know, I, I was like, this is really scary. You're in the night. One of these things comes at you. You know, standard, like, you know, villager comes at you. You do what the game has been training you to do, which is shoot it in the head, which you do. And his head pops like a watermelon and out comes the parasite. Holy shit. The first so, yes, time the- that this happens. Yeah. That was the moment for me of like, oh, oh my God, it's, you know, unlike anything you've ever seen. Right. Because at first it looks grotesque and you're like, what is that? And it looks absolutely creepy and horrible. And then these things, uh, you know, these tentacles have blades on the end and they start to swing right out at you and, and hurt you. And you're like, yeah, that insane reach. And you know, you think about like all the fearsome enemies from uh, the earlier games, you know, uh, I'm trying to think about like, uh, what were they? The liquors, the the tyrants and everything like that. But nothing like this enemy. This was 
you know, just watching someone's head explode and then turning to this grotesque parasite that has like this insane range that can just slice you. Um, and it's like covered in eyeballs and stuff. Like it's yeah. hard to look at. It's really hard to look at and it's moving really fast. The other thing is like the, there's a wonderful presentation element of it. Cause you, you pop the thing's head <laughs> and the thing doesn't come out immediately. There's, there's a couple of like, there's a, just a moment where you're like, well, it's going to fall to the ground and die. And it doesn't, it keeps walking and you're like, what's this? And then the thing erupts from the neck and yeah, it's it, think of like body horror things of like, you know, maybe alien, right? It's, it's that level of like this alien, you know, upsetting looking creature that is now, yeah, it's whipping at you and it takes a lot to go down. It doesn't go down easy. Even if you're like shooting it right in its little weird alien eyeballs, um, it takes a lot to kill these things. And this is going to keep happening. So the game has trained you to shoot for the head and you still should. But now you know there's you know there's a good chance this might a decent number of enemies you know sometimes they can pop their head and they just die because I guess the infection isn't far enough along but plenty of times this is gonna happen oh yeah and uh you're you're right and it's like it gets to be one of those things where it's like oh not again or you know uh in a good way and it and it, and it triggers that item management resource management part of your brain when you're playing these games because you have to figure out okay this is a new complication so what do i need to do now do i have enough ammo uh what type of weapon do i need to use to bring these down as fast as possible because not only do they live longer they have much farther reach uh and they're much more of a threat what order do i take these enemies down and it's like it's brilliant because it it triggers all these things simultaneously and again I, under ideal circumstances in this game, you're able to, you're trying to line up a good, you know, shot for maximum effect, harder and harder to do. The more of these things are coming at you, especially when these guys can hit you from pretty good range. Uh, you know, now you're in real trouble. And so, yeah, you make your way through a bunch of these, uh, and you will continue to make your way through these during the game, um, to a church where you eventually find Ashley. Ashley. Don't come! Hey, take it easy. No! Get away! Calm down. Everything's going to be just fine. My name's Leon. I'm under the president's order to rescue you. What? My father? That's right. And I have to get you out of here. Now come with me. And you start making your way with her, and now it becomes what is classically known as an escort mission. Right. Um, which I don't know how you felt about this. Um, you, you know, my, I guess I can enjoy these and some people enjoy these, but it is sometimes like, oh man, I have to look after Ashley. You know, you're so used to just concentrating on the enemies, but now you have to watch out for the health of Ashley as well. And, um, that adds a whole new complication, um, a new level to the gameplay. Yeah, I, I'm generally not crazy about escort missions either because of that feeling of like, I don't got time to worry about you. Um, you're, it's that much harder because you can't control her very directly. You can indirectly sometimes tell her to like, hey, you stand still or go hide in a dumpster for a little bit, but it's only temporary. They'll still find her. And 
later games would do this better. I think The Last of Us does this very well, where Ellie, your companion in that game, she can get in trouble in terms of being attacked by monsters, but it's like it only happens like 5% of the time. It's just often enough that you, you know, you can't totally forget about her, but not so often that it's like, you know, really, really draining. This game is, it's not bad, but it's closer to that end of the spectrum because it's earlier on in the life cycle of games like this that, you know, they hadn't, you know, worked on the AI enough or figured out like, Hey, we don't, we don't want you to have to rescue your companion that often because it's difficult. Um, this is a problem in RE5 as well, actually, having to constantly save your pull your companion's butt out of the fire. But um, she, you know, yeah, she's like this college age or you know late teens um, kid, so she's not capable of you know handling a weapon and caring for herself. She's mostly a damsel, uh, and she's a little better in the remake, I think. But um, yeah, so now the game becomes about basically ferrying her, hopefully, to safety as you end up meeting your primary antagonist around here, Osmond Sadler, who I like as an antagonist. He's excellently creepy. I'll take the girl. Who are you? If you must know, my name is Osmond Sadler, the master of this fine religious community. What do you want? To demonstrate to the whole world our astounding power, of course. No longer will the United States think they can police the world forever. So, we kidnap the president's daughter in order to give her our power, and then send her back. No! They shot something in my neck. What did you do to her? We just planted her a little gift. Oh, there's going to be one hell of a party when she returns home to her loving father. <laughs> but before that, I thought I might bargain with the president for some donation. Believe it or not, it takes quite a lot of money to keep this church up and running. Faith and money will lead you nowhere, Sadler. Oh, I believe I forgot to tell you that we gave you the same gift. When I was unconscious. Oh, I truly hope you like our small but special contributions. When the eggs hatch, you will become my puppets. Involuntarily, you'll do as I say. I'll have total control over your minds. Don't you think this is a revolutionary way to promulgate one's faith? Sounds more like an alien invasion if you ask me. Oh yeah, he's great. He's, uh, you know, fearsome. He has this uh, religious cult leader, you know, he has that aspect to it. Maybe a little bit of the Emperor from Return of the Jedi. You know, he's got like... I mean, he's wearing a purple robe, yeah. Right, right. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's great. He's mysterious. Again, they set him up. Up to this point, you've seen paintings of him. You know, you're like, who is this guy? And you you meet him and you're like, oh, this is the guy in the painting they seem to worship or really care about. Um, and so this, 
yeah, yeah, it's just the whole atmosphere just leads up to this guy. He's like the central figure in that. I love it. Yeah, and he's got this scepter with like a writhing plagas like wrapped around it. It's you know, it's uh, I'm not sure how the thing survives just doing that, but it's creepy, you know. And and we mm-hmm. see that he holds like sway over them, uh, you know. And he uh, at one point you. And Ashley, you find out Ashley's been infected with it and then you get infected with it. So now we're also in a race against the clock because, you know, at, at some point there's going to be no saving you either. And uh, it, it's great because every once in a while he'll kind of like you'll see that he's starting to exercise control over you. you like veins will pipe out of your skin and you'll, you know, you'll be unable to move for a minute, you know, things like that. Yeah, and I thought that was absolutely brilliant uh, story-wise that they introduced that because it made you uneasy about your own character. You you weren't sure what that was going to do to you or where you were going to go, and you were helpless as a player uh, to deal with that, whatever the effects of this was going to be. And um, so even you couldn't feel safe about your yourself, your own avatar in the game. Uh, I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, uh, and so Ashley is kidnapped again. Um, we meet Luis at a certain point who is, we learn is like kind of a defector from this group. He was a researcher who was, you know, it, kind of researching the Plagas and now he is just working to try and stop it. He's the one who's trying to help you make your way to the only possible cure. And, uh, you fight off Vitores Mendez, who is the, the mayor of the town. He's not the cult leader. He's the mayor of the town who like, this is the first time like you see a transformation that's like, Oh, it's now we're, <laughs> we're finding things that are worse than like the, the bug tentacle coming out of someone's head. You, this could happen to you. Yeah. Um, right. And he's of course the very intimidating guy with the beard, uh, that, you know, is kind of tossing you around at the beginning. And then he, yeah, yeah he's just, huge. I, he's like eight feet he's, tall. He's huge. And I just remember this barn fight, right. That we're going up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's yep. just, uh yeah just this yeah just this grotesque transformation of the body and the um spinal column extension column. yeah it's it it's really and and you're like oh my gosh what do i do and um but it's fun too because you know at this point you examine and you try to figure out what are the patterns and what's the weakness how do i approach you know, this type of boss and, you know, which is classic, you know, it's a trope in resident evil and, um, it's grotesque, but it, but this is the kind of stuff that makes you feel like everything's connected and in the same universe to all the other games, I think. And they're doing oh. this thing where it's like, I don't, I don't want to look at it. Right. You know, but you <laughs> need to, you need to look at this thing in order to kind of clock what he's doing and figure out how am I going to take him down and you're watching it's sort of like looking like, as you said, like a per, imagine a person was put on a rack and stretched and right. then out of their midsection came like a whole bunch of like scorpion parts, sort of like it's sort of like that. Uh, and, yeah, you, you take him down in this burning barn and now you're making your way to the castle, which is on the outskirts of town where we meet Ramon Salazar, who is the uh, the the Castellan this diminutive little Napoleon looking guy. (laughs) I was starting to wonder when you might notice us. Who are you? 
Me llamo Ramón Salazar, the eighth castellan of this magnificent architecture. I have been honored with a prodigious power from the great Lord Sadler. I've been expecting you, my brethren. No thanks, bro. My, my, we've got a feisty one. If you care for your own well-being, I suggest you surrender yourself and simply become our hostage. Or, Mr. Scott, you can give us the girl because you're not worth a penny, I'm afraid. You can die. I'm never turning into one of them. Never. Got that right. We'll find a cure. Which is where, like I said, the camp starts coming in. It's like this little Lord Fauntleroy dude. Who is nevertheless still creepy and under Sadler's sway. And uh, we meet like there's now you're up against like similar like Ganadas, but they're like creepy monks. Yeah. And I have to say, I loved this entire section because the setting, it's it's like everything we loved about the Spencer mansion, say, in the original Resident Evil, only it's on a such a grander scale. I mean, this is a castle and it has all those, you know, trappings of. Uh, horror stories um you know you have that idea of like old aristocracy and you have the different parts of the castle are in different states of uh, disrepair but uh um salazar uh, you're right it's like he's he's fun he's not he's creepy but you're right it's like he's not necessarily scary it's it's al- it's almost a bit of relief after everything you've been through um yeah, it's like he doesn't make you mortified. Uh, he's he's entertaining, I think. It's a lot of taunting from him, right? From like up on balconies and stuff. He kind of looks down on you and, you know, just gives you a hard time. Um, as you start making your way through this you know, beautifully realized, you know, marble castle. Uh, and you come up in, you know, into some really interesting set pieces. Are, do you have any favorite set pieces from inside the castle? Oh my gosh. Well, I think the one that really like freaked me out, it's later. It's, it's the giant Salazar statue, you know? Um, and we have that, of course, that's much later in the game, but, um, the, I loved actually just the creepiness of the monks. So if this is earlier, I loved how they set the tone for the section. I loved, you know, just their chance of, you know, and they, they kept on chanting that. And you, the, uh, I loved how they modified the volume so you could barely hear them in the distance. How do I deal with them? Do I pick them off with a rifle from a distance? What are they going to do to me? Um, and it's just this, you know, just the sense of evil, uh, the sense of something that could be religious, but it's inverted to something that's, uh, that's evil, you know, as we've seen in so many movies and everything. And so I think I enjoyed the atmosphere towards the beginning of the section and it really set it up well. You know, they, it's interesting. They are functionally the same as the villagers, you know, they just, you know, different character model, right? They function the same way in terms of the way they move, the, the way that their heads explode. And sometimes there's, you know, plug us inside um, but they do feel scarier. They're somehow more intimidating just because of that. Like their behavior makes it like, oh, these guys are more, you know, uh, adept than your average like farmer. Somehow they're, they, you think they're smarter or more intimidating. Um, there's that, 
set piece where you have Ashley up on these like uh, just sort of a different uh, level than you operating some um, switches. You have to kind of cover her so she can operate these switches, which will open a path forward. And so you have to make sure you don't die. and You have to make sure she doesn't die. And it's really, really hard. And it goes on for a long time. Um, that's kind of a memorable set piece from this thing. Um, that I that I take with me. There's the the garden kind of hedge maze full of the dogs. Oh yes, plagas coming out of their backs. That's pretty freaky. Yes, and you also um, you know there are traps all through there. Uh, all, all obviously, and that's what the fun of the section is. I think too. Um, you get to take over. You get to play as Ashley briefly, which which was which was kind of cool. I thought. Yeah, uh, and you're very defenseless for that. You're not right. meant to like kill a bunch of guys. You have like I think one way you can like blow a thing up, and you can take out some dudes. But if you mess it up, well, you're out of ammo now. You know, there's, you, you have very limited resources for that. Which uh, she's kind of being harried to by these like moving sets of armor, which we assume there's like a plagus inside. Yes, uh, those are real intimidating because again, you have no defensive vocabulary. There's nothing you can do except like kind of run. Right. Right. Which is great. It's like changing up the gameplay and it's just something about this game, the variety of the imagination of how they vary everything constantly to keep you interested. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, any other, there's a few other set pieces I'm thinking of from the castle, which is that there's the Novista doors, which you eventually make your way under the castle. And there are these like bug monsters that are like even more warped by the plugins and they are invisible. Uh, a lot of them, it's kind of like fighting the predator it's uh pretty tough to like spot where they are and they just kind of keep coming. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and, and you, that setting, it's great. You get, uh, Salazar puts you down and I want to say, I, this is where I think it's very entertaining. Uh, when Salazar breaks on, you know, your comm link, you know, you were talking to Harrigan this whole time. You can't talk with her anymore. And then the villains start to break in and like talk to you on your, on your comm link, which is, which is kind of cool. And they kind of say, Oh, we've got something for you. Hunnigan, what happened? The transmission got cut off. <laughs> Salazar. How'd you? We've jacked the line. We didn't want you telling everyone any unnecessary information. Where's Ashley? Ah, so she fell into one of our wonderful traps. We'll make sure we find her. Don't you worry about her. Oh, yes. I let our miserable insects out for some exercise down in the sewer. Thanks. That should keep me company, because boredom kills me. I look forward to our next encounter. In another life. But yeah, that's that's a great section. There's the um, the lava room. I remember d there's just a lava room in there, um, which is just crazy. You know what I mean? It's like okay, most castles of the medieval period had a, a lava room. So yes. Very <laughs> um, actually, the other set piece I was thinking of that's in here, I, I almost forgot it. Um, the blind guys with the Wolverine claws. Oh yes. Yes, it's um these 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 tortured beings, you know, that just uh look like they're uh just hurt every second that they're alive and um yeah, it's like uh it, yeah, it's just very unsettling to see uh see these creatures but then they come after you. 
Yeah, they're t- they'll they'll whack you real good and one hit and kill you with these giant claws, but they can't see. So right. the fun of this is like you're sneaking around, you know, where they are. You might find something. You can make some noise in the environment. They'll go running at it because you have to hit them. Their their vulnerable spot is the just one, and it's right in the middle of their back. So you have to find a way to kind of get around behind them to make any progress. And of course, once you shoot them, they will hear the gunfire, turn around, uh, so that spot is no longer. Uh, accessible and right. run at you and uh yeah real scary you know real creepy these you know snm like hellraiser things uh mm-hmm. and uh yeah just a great addition to like the menagerie of monsters in this in this game yeah and, and it, then yeah i was gonna say and then we meet the right hand of salazar which is a whole other like weird bug monster right yeah t- tell us about that one uh, if you remember this guy, like this is like this creepy robed, it looks like a centipede almost. It's like robed figure next to Salazar. And you end up in this like kind of longish hallway type section. You have to freeze him with liquid nitrogen oh, and you yes. can shoot at him while yes. you're waiting for this elevator. And you can kill it by like freezing it and shooting it repeatedly with liquid nitrogen. I've never pulled it off. I was like, I was just like, no, no, I just have wow. to survive long enough for that elevator to show up and I'm out of here. You don't technically yeah. have to kill it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. It's great. I I love, I love this game. There's, there's so much to it. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of variety in, in the encounters, but yeah. And then we get to Salazar himself who does some bug nuts. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, right. There's that set piece that I, I love just that in giant Salazar mechanical statue you know, with the hands and everything like that. And, um, just, I, I love that. And it's, it's just creepy and freaky to see, you know, it's like the real character is so small and then this thing is so huge and then it just chases you, you know? And, um, and that's another thing too. How did you feel about the quick time events in this game? Cause there were a lot of quick time events. Okay. Yeah. Well, this game really popularized a quick time event. So what we should explain for people who don't know, a quick time event is basically, the game it kind of goes into something like Dragon Slayer, where like you you start a, it's like a movie. You're not moving your character around freely in the normal control scheme. So it's playing a movie, and that at a certain point, a button pro, it'll you'll, you'll press the X button, and you have to follow the leader and press the buttons in you know within the limited time allotted. So you have to just be sort of waiting for these prompts to happen, and then you got to hit it correctly. If you hit the wrong button, then something bad will happen. And some of them are just like pass fail. Like if you don't hit the right button, you're dead. Um, I don't like these. I don't think anybody likes these. It was developed as a way to like, we want to have your character do something super cool that he can't do in the normal engine, but we still want to keep it interactive and not just have it be a little movie. And I think it would have worked better if they either just let you fight the thing in the, in a regular way or just make it a quick, just a movie that you just watch, you know, as a cutscene, and then you get back into it. I find these to be, um, they're stressful, but not fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't mind them too much in this one, but some of the other, I remember I really didn't like them in Resident Evil six. It's like the, uh, I don't know. They're okay. I agree. They're, they're probably better kind of kept to a minimum. It's a way to make cutscenes maybe slightly interactive, but there's no skill really. So, um, it's the same level of skill as like playing Simon. Right. Right. So, yes. yeah, yeah, not a fan of those, but yeah. Um, and then Salazar basically like merges with this like giant flower thing on the wall and goes from being 
you know, a three foot tall, uh, you know, joke to being again, monster grotesque stuff. Uh, but you can't take him out with one good rocket launcher. You got one. Ah, you just missed her. The ritual is over. She left with my men to an island. What? I think it's time I paid my due respects towards your impressive and stubborn will. Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> I know. And uh, this is this is the game that for me uh, started my fascination with rocket launchers and just the power of rocket launchers. And I think it's just because of that satisfaction you get uh, if you have one and you use it on such a crazy enemy like this that, uh, yeah, you can take them down. So in uh, one hit. Yeah. In one hit. Oh, we didn't even talk about this. The inventory system in this is yes. weirdly worth mentioning. It's so satisfying. It's like ASMR for games. Yeah, we want to talk about what it is. <laughs> right. Okay. So this this was actually a major development, a major change from the inventory systems in previous Resident Evils, which were basically just uh, kind of like magic item boxes. So you would uh, you could kind of keep. Uh, well, actually, I'm sorry. Th- those were saves. You had basically just squares. So you had squares in previous Resident Evil games. You had a certain inventory. This, the attache case, um, was something that was dynamic. You could change things around. Items took up more than one square. So it was important to uh, change and arrange your inventory uh, so that everything would fit. Maybe you could create more space. And it was upgradable. Oh, maybe we should talk about the merchant too. Um Oh, yeah. Uh, You could purchase upgrades to this attache case so you could expand the inventory over time. And uh, that was kind of a game in itself, I think, was managing everything and trying to get to everything to fit into certain squares. It's like merging Tetris into this game. Yeah. Where, you know, it's like, yeah, you've got this limited amount of space, but I can rotate the things in my suitcase around. And if I need to, I can combine items to take up less space, depending on what they are. Um, and there's a, like an immense satisfaction to like, oh, geez, I just found another box of ammunition. I could really use it, but I can't fit it. But if I sit here and fiddle with this for a while, maybe I can rearrange stuff and look at that. Now I've got a box of machine gun ammo that I didn't have before. Right. Um, it's immensely like uh, there's a game. I have not played it. I've heard about it that I, I want to try called Save Room that is literally basically this as a game. Wow. Yeah, it's it you're you're absolutely right. It's it's a great system and until this moment I don't think I've heard in words just how satisfying it is. You're right. It is satisfying and there's a lot of gratification to just working with your attaché case. Uh yeah, yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. And you mentioned the merchant, so who you who's this like creepy dude you just encounter here and there along your your travels? who will sell you, uh, you know, upgrade your weapons or sell you new ones, uh, you know, other thing maps to where, you know, treasure is because you'll be picking up treasure along your way. 
and has this nice system where like you, you find these like loose jewels here and there and then you'll find like a vase with slots on them so you could sell the merchant the vase and get some money but if you fill in all of the slots with the valuable jewels you'll get a lot more money so it's right. always worth it to like hang on to this stuff make sure you can explore the environment fully to find all of these things um and do that and then the other thing the merchant has occasionally is he's standing next to basically a door that leads to a shooting gallery where mm-hmm. you can uh, get, you know, practice your your um, marksmanship, basically, in exchange for some modest little rewards. Over here, stranger. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Got a selection of good things on sale, stranger. Yeah, those were fun. And, you know, your targets were characters from the game, <laughs> which was kind of fun, uh, like Ganados or, you know, other characters. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I will say that the first time I played this game, uh, the spinel, I thought that the spinels might have some kind of significance. Uh, and so I never sold them the first time I played the game. I kept them because I didn't know if I'd need them. But then, you know, of course, you get to the end and it's like, oh, I I really didn't need to keep the spinels. I could, I could have sold them this whole time, but, um, so if anyone is, yeah, if anyone's playing this for the first time, you can sell them. And in the remake, actually, it will tell you this thing is just for selling for money. It'll show a little thing next to it that lets you know, uh, which is like, Oh, that's a relief. I don't need to hold on to this thing any longer. I can just get rid of it. That is such a welcome addition. Uh, much appreciated because yes, I mean, there's that stress of, do I need this? You know? Yeah, and, and the original game does not tell you explicitly whether this is something you should hold on to for some greater value later on, and maybe you find something else to use it with. So uh, it's kind of the thing you learn through experience, and you like hunt for these things in the environment, like, oh, there's something sparkling over there on this chandelier. If I shoot it, it'll fall down, and hey, it's an emerald, you know. Um, so yeah, so you make it past Salazar, and with the help of uh, Ada Wong, who is a, a not totally trustworthy character from previously in the franchise um you are off to the island to try and rescue ashley and cure yourselves of the plagas once and for all which is um this is where we start getting into really the black science like we learn in the castle like where the plagas came from that they were like unearthed from beneath the castle and like um you know kind of jurassic park style they were in amber and (laughs) once they got loose this happened basically right yeah, and um, so this to me, uh, I I enjoyed this this sequence as well. I it wasn't until years later that I saw that even though of course it's regarded as one of the greatest games of all time, a lot of people maybe don't care for this section, the island as much. But uh, to me, this really feels like home again from a Resident Evil perspective, right? Because that it's like there's always this progression of you're going from these sort of classical horror elements, sometimes like supernatural or or zombies, things rooted in just classic horror. Uh, but then there's a sci-fi sort of explanation for all of it. And you, there's always this secret laboratory. And, uh, you know, you've had Umbrella in other games and Umbrella's here kind of in the background, but um, it kind of felt like we're moving towards home in the Resident, Resident Evil universe. Yeah, there's definitely there's the the classic moment where, you know, you find the black site, you know, Mm -hmm. the laboratory where it all happened. 
and you start to, you know, again, the notes you find are a little more like, oh, okay, we're learning like the, the forces that were like unearthing this stuff and what they plan to do with it uh, and how they've used it to create more horrifying mutations that, you know, than just the standard Plagas would create. Um, there is one set piece, though. I, I have to jump back to this because we forgot to mention it. The, sure. the, uh, the bit when you're in the cabin in the village. This oh. is. Yeah, this is so there's like a moment the, early on. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the, no, I know where you're going. This is like the most classic zombie thing there is, which is like you and Luis, uh, and I think Ashley's there too. You're you hole up, you know, there, there's Ganadas coming from everywhere. You run into this like two story cabin and you hole up in there and you're trying to fend off waves of these guys. And, you know, true, like, Night of the Living Dead stuff. Like, exactly. you know, you're trying to block the walls. You're trying to, like, you know, knock down the ladders and stuff. Um, one of the most memorable set pieces in the whole game, and I just realized, ah, I'd, I'd feel like an idiot if I didn't actually uh, mention this moment. Right, because, right, you're exactly right. Night of the Living Dead, this really uh, brings it home to Night of the Living Dead. And it's just, it's everything up to that point. You have these creatures who are just coming at you, you know, the Plagos modified watermelon exploding heads. You've got all of that stuff. Um, you've got them coming up uh, ladders, potentially. You've got, you know, they're just everywhere. And it's one of those moments where you just don't know if you can hold out. You're you're expending all of your ammunition and uh, you just don't know if you're going to live. Yeah, it's, again, masterful in this tension. Um, so bringing us back to the the lab, um, I'm impressed they still find like new tricks to show you because we run into the um, the regenerators, which holy fuck are these things scary? Right. So um, now you'll have to remind me like which ones they are because there are several new um, creatures in this section. This is the gray thing that goes like. <laughs> They make that noise, and if you get up close to them, like spikes pop out of their skin. Yes, so, so okay. You, they kind of yes. turn little Iron Maidens. Um, they really sneak up on you real good. Like the first time you see one, it's just like you see it on a table, you know, and it's motionless, mm-hmm. and you're and you just know like at some point this thing is going to get up from that table, right? And it's going to be bad. Um, and the trick to them is you need like a special scope on your gun that's like thermal. Yes, because there's like vulnerable plagas inside them but unless you have the right. scope you can't see where they are to shoot them and if you don't shoot them it's a regenerator you can blow its head off you can blow its arm off it's going to grow back and it's going to keep coming so the only way you're going to be able to get rid of this thing is with like a grenade to take it out in one big kaboom or surgically take these uh, vulnerable little parasites out they are absolutely terrifying and these, this is the one where you shoot it and then like the spikes just shoot out. It's sort of like if, if it gets shot, the spikes just shoot out. Yeah. Oh man. Those things are amazing. Yeah. And if you like, you can shoot their legs off and it'll like slither on the floor towards you. And so like all of your tricks of like, well, I'll try this or try that. Like they don't work. You have to do what the game needs you to do to kill them. And it's like this late in the game, it's just so cool that they're still coming up with new things to terrify you with. Really, really impressive. Any other yeah, like, and memorable things from this section of the game? Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, I agree with you. Like, so many other games, I think, at this point would be sort of like recycling what we've already seen. Uh, but, yeah, so many new things. There are these um, 
I remember that I don't know if they were like green guys that just were like very tall that had like teeth that were just like super creepy. Um, I'm trying to remember other uh, creatures in this section. Um, you make your way through and right. It's got that laboratory feel, a very industrial feel to it. Um, and then you kind of make your way up to, uh, sort of some big confrontations and new big characters. I remember from the section, uh, yeah, like Krauser. So you find these like root. Yeah. Krauser. So you find these ruins, um, and you end up fighting this guy named Krauser, um, without spoiling anything for the remake, they do a better job with this character because oh, here he okay. comes out of no he comes out of nowhere in the original you're like who is this guy they treat him like we should know who he is there's a little yeah. bit of a misfire um and i assumed not being as well steeped in the series like oh well he must be a character from one of the earlier games i haven't played right nope he's just this weird like military dude who comes out of nowhere and fights you um but he's got this like he's... big grotesque like arm been a long time comrade Krauser. I died in a crash two years ago. Is that what they told you? You're the one who kidnapped Ashley. You got John Quick, as expected. After all, you and I both know where we come from. What do you want? Sample Sadler developed, that's all. Leave Ashley out of this! Oh, I needed her to buy Sadler's trust in me. Like you, I'm American. You got her involved just for that? So and and he's supposed to basically be an, an an older comrade of Leon. Like they're supposed to know each other. They seem to come. He he seems like very military esque. Um, and you're right. They introduce him like, oh, they know each other. Leon cares about him. And uh, Krauser, I think he was supposed to have died in a helicopter crash or something like that. Uh, but you're right. He's obviously enhanced. And then eventually he has that arm. Yeah, it's a tough fight. Um, there's a lot of, like, drones and things around the area, these, like, mines. You have to sort of work your way through as you the maze of these ruins just to get to where he is up on this, like, parapet where you have your final confrontation. But, yeah, this, his arm is mutated into this almost like a wing, like a this big flat shape. And he'll put that up Dracula-style kind of in front of his body, and it's bulletproof. So you have to really work your way around to like try and like find an angle where you can get in any kind of a shot to to do some damage. It's a very tough fight, very late in the game. It's a little demoralizing, honestly. <laughs> um, uh, so it wasn't I wasn't crazy about this one. Um, there's this wonderful section where we meet Mike, another character that comes out of nowhere, oh, which yeah, is this Mike. is just to give you a sense of like wee action fun <laughs> that's less scary. So you're like shooting a bunch of Ganados, but now you've got aerial support from Mike, your military buddy in the helicopter, who like is blowing them up from range because mm-hmm. um, the Ganados are real scary. But if you got a helicopter, they, they don't got that kind of reach, um, but they do have firearms. And like I said, they're not zombies. They can work guns and doors and machines. So they eventually shoot poor Mike down. Mm-hmm. Damn. 
about time. Sorry, bad traffic. I'll cover you. Thanks. When we get out of here, drinks are on me. Yeah, hey, I know a good bar. And uh, you're right. I think that's one thing I kind of enjoyed about this section is that, yeah, they can actually use firearms. And you see these guys who are like uh, they just have rounds of ammo on them and they're uh, coming after you. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's like a military bunker. And, yeah, poor Mike se- seemed like a good guy uh, taken down. Yeah. Poor Mike. Lost too soon. Yeah. Yep. He, he gets he gets buried in Arlington, though, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, you eventually make your way to like the uh, another laboratory, like Luis's old laboratory. He's dead by now. We skipped past that, but he's dead. Uh, nobody gets out of this game alive, mostly. Um, but you um, you're able to remove the parasite from yourself and Ashley at this point. So we're we're right near the end, uh, and it's time to go up against Sadler himself, who undergoes maybe even a bigger transformation that almost <laughs> defies the laws of conservation of mass because. The thing he turns into is so big. It's like, how did you cram all that inside your seemingly human shape before? But uh, I know, yeah, uh, giant uh, must have been a very, f- very flattering robe. Must have been a very flattering robe. Ada. Better try a new trick, cause that one's getting old. You okay? I've been better. (laughs) What's so funny? Oh, I think you know. The American prevailing is a cliché that only happens in your Hollywood movies. Oh, Mr. Kennedy, you entertain me. To show my appreciation, I will help you awaken from your world of cliches. Ada, stand back. He's just very dense, is the answer. Yes. He expands outward. To like, yeah, he's this like giant spider-like creature, but I love that like his like human body is like dangling from underneath, like it's just you know like a, a like a ragdoll thing. Yeah, yeah, it's so creepy. I know, and it's it's great. I love this transformation because to me, this is classic Resident Evil. You have this monster uh, with uh, eyeballs forming at joints, and you know that those are going to be weaknesses, and um, it's just. And it's great. You shoot at him, uh, you stab him, um, and I, I think that's very satisfying to be uh, taking or targeting eyeballs on these Resident Evil monsters. 
he's got it coming. Oh, yeah. there's no question. He's yeah, you know, it feels real good to take him down after every. You realize this guy is responsible for every monstrous thing you've seen. And we've only touched on a fraction of the hideous, you know, again, you know, Giger-esque monsters you see in this thing. Um, you know, really, really grotesque stuff. And uh, so you take him down, uh, you escape the island before it blows up on a jet ski, which is a weird last, like, thing to stick in the game, but you do. Uh, and you and Ashley are off. We find that Ada has a one sample of the Plagas mm-hmm. she's going to bring back to the remnants of Umbrella. And then we get one of the most effective credit sequences in anything ever. Movies, games, you know, you name it. Um, if you want to talk about this, because I think this is a really extraordinary piece of little storytelling. Uh, if if you want to start us off on that, I'll, I'll jump in later. Uh, it's the So you start seeing these, like, sketches. And they're sketches of the the village in, like, happier times. Oh, and okay, so yes. It, yeah. It's, you, now you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I know what you're talking about now. It's, it's a little hazy, but yes. Yeah, it's this, like, vignette that they do. So, you know, you see, like, you know, here's the guy, like, taking his cart to market or whatever. And the, the music is... Um, you know, I won't say it's happy, but it's, you know, a, it starts to darken in tone as like you see a sketch of like robed Sadler, like preaching to people and like things are starting to get worse and worse. And then the last one is like these worshipers and you see it's like, a, again, these like sketches of these things of this woman with her head cocked off to the side and then this like tentacle flying out of the hole in her neck and all of the horrified villagers staring at it and it's so great because we know where this ends up like we fought our way we killed everyone in this village now to get to this point Um, right but it's just this it it adds this like wonderfully somber note to the end of the game because it's gotten pretty campy by this point you know at the end you know it definitely ramps up the camp as you go and this is just this last just like yes horror true horror right and um it's if you don't, if you watch anything from this from this game, I would honestly say go watch those credits because like it's a really like it's almost like something like the the beginning of Up, where it's just like we're going to succinctly <laughs> pack an emotional punch into like a short montage. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's. I know it's it, it is a creepy thought, and it makes you realize that uh, how horrible for these people. You know, if they were living their lives and they didn't have great means and all of a sudden this came upon them and it's, it's too bad. It's too bad. It all happened. Yeah, it is I mean, the, the tragedy of the, this village uh, and, and the people like it's like you said, it's sort of easy to forget that once you're like, oh, I just got to kill all these things because it's a video game and I, you know, and I'm, they're going to kill me anyway, so I better do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice that they can build this little human moment right at the end to just kind of go like, yeah, that was, pretty fucked up what i just saw right so, right um so ken we've come to the end of this game and um you know as, as i said this game has had uh not even new life it never went away like i said every system that came out they're like well we got to make sure you can play resident evil 4 on this hardware so it's never gone away and now we have the the remake of it to to enjoy to sort of freshen it up a little bit give it a fresh coat of paint um, but w- what do you think it is about this game that just, you know, it, it will 
it will sort of be there forever. This is this is again, this is like one of these real high, high watermarks in video games. Right. Well, you know, and we talked about it before. I think it's the uh, imagination of the settings uh, tying back to sort of classical horror, body horror, uh, these things that we all connect to um, traditionally, even in film. Um, you know, you have those elements of survival horror as far as gaming, um, and it blends perfectly with action. I think they spent uh, a lot of time developing great characters. Obviously, Lord Sadler is someone that you hate. You hate all of these people that you're going up against. Um, it constantly, it's a game that constantly surprises you. Uh, when you think you're numb to some sort of horror or something scary, it comes up with something new. Um, and I do think the human characters are, you know, Leon, <laughs> you know, we can, you can make fun of Leon, but I think he's kind of a, a great sort of protagonist. And we know that he, he never gets down. So we don't get down. He, he, he wants to keep going. He keeps a good attitude about everything. So we want to keep, keep going. Um, you know, you have someone who you want to protect Ashley. Um, and then Ada, Ada Wong in this game, uh, I think, she really comes into her own as a very mysterious, alluring character uh, that really became iconic uh, as far as her imagery, like all all that action, um, her skill, her martial arts skill in that red dress and high heels. You know, it, it might be ridiculous, but it's it's very iconic. Um, I think later games maybe lean too heavily into action. Um, I think this one was the perfect blend of what made the earlier games so loved, um, and then introduce an element of action. And I don't know if they've, they've hit that maybe Resident Evil eight is the closest balance they've kind of hit to, to four. Um, but they just managed to, to hit that recipe perfectly. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. And you mentioned eight, eight, um, owes a huge debt to this. They're, you, they're clearly mm-hmm. trying to recreate that. It has a fairly similar setting, you know, European yes. village with a castle and you know, right. uh, demented villagers and stuff. It's not Las Plagas. It's a different biological threat, but you know, similar ideas. Um, I like seven, a whole bunch. Seven is mm. much more like lean, lean and mean Texas chainsaw massacre kind of motif. Yes. Uh, which I like a lot. Very scary. Um, again, they re- completely revamped the gameplay for seven and eight. Um, but what I think four does, it's still, I think, far and away the best in the series. But at, yeah, we talked about how it constantly surprises you. I think what's great about it is it gives you the tool set to have this immersive experience. And that's the thing that games do that other mediums don't, right? You are interacting with it. You are you are the one who's going to have to fight your way through this threat. You're not just going to passively watch it happen to an actor on screen. You know, you're not going to see that cool credit sequence. I guess you can watch it on YouTube now, but you're not going to get to see that unless you fight your way through this game. And the, the, like we kept coming back to this word dynamic, right? The dynamics of the way the game is, sort of, you know, like I said, secretly giving you ammo when you need it and starving you of it when you don't. The way the villagers so smartly try to surround you, react to you, the way their bodies react to what you do, the way the game gives you options of like, oh, 
you know, I can kick down a ladder. I can wait till this guy is like two thirds of the way up the ladder and kick it down with him on it and he'll get hurt. Um, the game is constantly doing this thing where it lets you think like, Hey, could I do that? Would that, what would that be cool if I tried that to him? And the game basically says, yes, do it. See what happens. It could be good. Mm-hmm. And you add on that on top of that. Yes. The like best in class body horror create, you know, just the, the macabre creativity of it. And it's just this unbeatable recipe for just this in- incredible experience. It's a roller coaster ride. I've, you know, I've played through this game, you know, several times plus the remake. And it's like, you don't get tired of it because it is dynamic. It is changing mm-hmm. around you. So even when the story beats are the same, the, in- the, the, the constantly changing, shifting way these encounters happen, um, it always feels alive in a way that most games don't like you, most games you can kind of feel the code and so often exploit the code, you know, as you get used to the, even the best games. Um, and here it sort of, it always feels like it's like, yeah, I'm smart enough to keep step with you. And that's really special. Yeah, you're right. That, that reward you get too. It's like, even when it's scary, when you pull something off, I, yeah, it, it, get, it boosts your confidence that you can face these horrors and and it's fun. Uh, yeah, I think you put that very, very well. I think that's probably a good place to to leave things. I think we've 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 done it. We've covered Resident Evil Four front to back. Um, Ken, uh, if people want to find your stuff, where do they find you? Sure, you can find me on social media. My handle is Kenergy Cole uh, on YouTube. That's where I have a lot of my content. My channel is Ken Cole, and you can find uh, videos, uh, discussions, uh, and live streams. KenCast. Uh, is also a podcast so you can find that on your favorite podcast platform thank you so much doug of course Uh, glad to have you here Uh, a little admin on our side if you want to give us feedback you can find us on the socials we are uh, on the uh, sinking ship that is twitter uh, (laughs) slash x at nostalgia pod we are now also at nostalgia pod on blue sky Uh, you can find us on threads and instagram at nostalgia Marcanum, and i would encourage you if you're going to pick one of those go with instagram because that's where i put bonus stuff uh every week and you know just kind of i think that's probably the best portal to interact with us right now until we can find a better one um so look for us there if you have thoughts on our recent episodes which include of course resident evil 4 uh it's the great pumpkin charlie brown queen and before that was uncharted um i'm not sure what's uh, coming up next i've been recording things out of order so uh i'm not entirely sure what is next for spooky month in october so uh but it's gonna be something and it's gonna be spooky and i hope you like it so uh so there you go um ken man thanks again for for dropping by it's always a pleasure to talk to you doug thanks it was a pleasure and an honor i always love these discussions all right so until next time that is one more entry in the nostalgia arcana Although Kazakhstan a glorious country, it has a problem too. Economic, social, and cult. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa.
¿Quién viene de caso? ¿Quién viene de caso? Have a chair. I have a chair. I am in a nest of gold. They have cleverly shifted their shapes. One of them has taken the form of a little old woman. What is the best gun to defend uh, from a cult? What you see is what I've got. Come on and make my day. Book. Oh, nice. Leon, help! Well, I want to say hello. Uh, wow. Welcome back in my town of Kusek. Since I returned, there have been much improvements. We no longer have a running of the cult. It's cruel. We Christians now. Yeah, 